morning. And it is a, it, it truly is a joy and privilege to see your faces and to come and, and worship God with you this morning in this place. I, I don't take it for granted. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, on Saturdays, I like to uh, take what I've learned all week and the manuscript that I've written, and then I like to uh, practice it. I like to practice it three times and review it and change it. And so I was, I was five minutes into my practice when I got a call early in the morning from Ryan and I said, ah, oh, he doesn't normally call me early Saturday morning. So I, I, I answer that and said, what's up? He's like, hey, I, I, have, I have bad news. Um, our trailer was broken into and all of our sound equipment was stolen. And I was like, okay, so that, that was my day. So I went there, did a police report. You're like, what's this sound equipment? Well, we because we tried to plan a church once and we'll try again, but we had a backup plan. So praise the Lord for that. But uh, doing a report, about $15,000 worth of equipment was stolen. Oh, there I am. Oh, <laughs> welcome. Hey. Um, nevertheless, I, I, even in that moment, as, as kind of that was taking up my whole day, and I'm like getting later in the afternoon, I'm like, I, I really need to practice this thing. And, um, but just realizing... Uh, even even those those times were like man that that's a bummer that sucks like like th- th- those moments if we if we see them rightly what they should do in us is is cause a a longing for us to kind of release the grip uh, that we have on this world and, and long for the day where where those things don't happen anymore, where, where God comes and, and finally rescues and redeems all things and and makes all things right and so I, I in, in my limited practice. I had, so I'm going to ask for your grace this morning. But in the limited practice I had, I just had an excitement uh, about what God wants to do uh, among us, uh, even on, on a day like this. So uh, I'm grateful for it. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 23 and 24 is where we're at this morning. Now, what, one thing that's universally true about humans is we are a story people. Like across time and culture, we alone on the planet are, are storytellers. We, we love story. We, we love to sing stories. We love to write stories and poems and books and, and short stories. We like to watch stories and movies and on TV shows. And probably in, in some way, shape, or form, everyone in here maybe uh, emphasizes one over the other, but everyone in here uh, pursues story in, in some way, shape, or form. And I, I think that's because... Uh, we, we are image bearers of the ultimate storyteller. We, we are uh, invited into his grand story. And so every good story that we read and watch and, and hear about and sing ultimately is pointing to his story. And, and there's this moment in, in a really good story where there's that aha moment. You're like, aha, now, now going back, all that other stuff makes sense. I, I, could, I could piece the thing together and 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 some of us like to just uh, be surprised by that some of you are are a little bit crazy you'll you'll read books and you'll go to the end of the book first any anyone that does that yeah i called you crazy but i know you do it okay so i, I know i have people in my own family that are like yeah i, I gotta go to the very end read the last few pages so i can i, I don't like the the tension and and I, when i'm watching a tv show with my wife she, she's figuring out she's like this is gonna happen i'm like i just wanted to see it happen i didn't really I didn't really want you to blow it for me. But, but there are these moments where there's these aha moments that where like the, the reveal happens. The, the most iconic one I can think of, at least in the movie realm, is from that movie 24 years ago, The Sixth Sense, right? So, so if you've seen the movie, you already know what I'm going to say. If you haven't, this is a spoiler alert, but that's on you. It's been 24 years. 
So, so Bruce Willis is a child psychologist, and, and one of his patients uh, claims that, uh, the, the little boy can, claims that he can see, I see dead people. And uh, he, he can talk with dead people, and so he's trying to help this boy uh, process this and, and not be terrified by that. But, uh, and so along the course of the movie, he's giving advice to the boy. And uh, during the course of the movie, Bruce Willis and, and his wife are just growing this more and more distance. And he has this conversation with the little boy, and the boy says, why don't you talk to her? You know, uh, when she's going to sleep, why don't you try to talk to her? He says, okay, I'm going to try. And so at the end of the movie, he goes, and he's trying to talk to his wife. And, and she says to him, uh, why did you leave me? And he's so confused. And then uh, you know the story if you saw the movie. She, she drops his wedding ring, and it spins on the ground. And in that moment, you're like, ah, oh, he's dead. He's been dead the whole time. And, and, and then you go back, and you're like, oh, now, that, now these, these other parts of the story make sense. It's all leading to this. Well, it's that kind of aha moment where everything comes clear. Well, there was a, a scene like this in the life of, of, of Jesus as well. Uh, it was actually on Easter Sunday after his death and resurrection. He is, uh, had appeared to se- several people already, but uh, late in the afternoon on Easter Sunday, we, we read about this in Luke 24. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read one verse. But uh, as he's, he appears to some disciples, and they're, they're getting out of Jerusalem. They're probably running for their lives because they think what happened to their leader is going to happen to them. And so uh, as they head off to this town called Emmaus, seven miles away, Jesus appears, but, but his identity is, is obscure to them. They don't know. And so he begins to walk with them. He's like, what's up? And, and they're just devastated. And again, if you think about the scene, they should be the most explosively happy people on the planet, but, but they haven't really believed all that God said would happen. And so they're devastated. And, and Jesus listens for a little while, and, and then he, he gets, I don't know if he gets a little irritated, but he, he kind of rebukes them. And in Luke chapter 24, as he's walking with them, uh, I'll pick it up in verse 26, he says, he, he says to them, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then listen to what Jesus said right now, because it's not just an aha moment for them, it should be an aha moment for all of us that read the Bible and read the Old Testament especially. Look at verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, the whole Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See what Jesus just did right there? It was the aha moment. Like, like what's the point of Exodus? What's the point of Genesis and Leviticus and Malachi and Isaiah and Jeremiah? Well, well, the ultimate point, Jesus is saying, is pointing to him. To understand the scriptures fully is to understand how they uh, point to him. And so Jesus says, I want to give you a new lens by which you can read Exodus. I want you to see and savor me in it. And he has this kind of three-hour conversation just going through the entire Old Testament with them. And they get to the end, they break bread, their eyes are open, they see Jesus, and then he disappears. And the point is, like, we, one of the reasons why we, even as New Covenant people, are spending time in the Old Covenant, spending time in Exodus, is because we want to see and savor Jesus throughout his whole word. And we've said this in the, from the beginning, to understand Exodus, to understand the Bible, is to understand that it's a story, and the backbone of that story is that God relates to his people in covenants. 
And, and the covenants are building, you should know. They're, they're going to crescendo towards the end, but, but it starts with the Noahic covenant, and God says, I'm not going to uh, flood the, judge the earth and flood the world anymore, and so he gives them a rainbow. Then it goes to the Abrahamic covenant, and God says, I'm going to give you a people, and I'm going to give you a land, Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and through you, you're going to bless the whole earth. It goes into the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 19 through 24, where we're at. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Fast forward to the Davidic Covenant, where God promises King David, on your throne, uh, that there will be a ruler uh, from you forever and ever. That's pointing to Jesus. But even in the Old Testament, there, there was a longing for and a pointing to the ultimate covenant, the new covenant. Jeremiah, Jeremiah said this, that a new covenant's coming, the law's going to be written on our hearts. Uh, when Jesus comes, uh, what, what does he say at, at communion? He says, this is the cup of the, uh, that is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. And ultimately, this covenant was inaugurated in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it has come, but it hasn't come in all its fullness yet. We are still longing for that day. When it comes to its full completion, we, we read about this in, in Revelation chapter 21. And again, this is like reading a mystery novel, going to the end and seeing where this is going. But, but all this is to help us understand today Exodus 23 and 24. Here's where Exodus 23 and 24 are ultimately pointing to. It says this at the very end of the Bible. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. Well, this is where it's going. Now, now if you can understand that the, the covenants are building, and they're, uh, Jesus will say, and Hebrews chapter 8 will say, uh, what we're going to look at are shadows of the things to come, the substance that is Christ. We're going to look at some of the shadows that was true for the people of God in the Mosaic Covenant and see how they ultimately point to and fulfill, find fulfillment in Jesus. So if you have your Bible, Exodus 23 is where we're going to start. In verse 20, there's going to be five realities that we're going to look at that was true in some kind of uh, elementary level for the people that received this in that time, in that place, and it's ultimately true for us in Christ. So Exodus chapter 23, we're going to see kind of five blessings for the people then, always, and now, and forever. Let's look at the text together. Verse 20. God says, see, I am sending an angel. So they're, they're coming to the end of the closing of the covenant. They're going to ratify the Mosaic covenant. We've heard about the law for the last several chapters, and now they're going to go through the covenant ceremony, and God says some things to them along the way. I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way, to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies. So the first thing we see is the angel of the Lord. And the thing that you should take from this then, always, and now is 
God's people, not just a New Testament thing, but, but God's people don't go at it alone. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you're, you're not alone in that. God has sent his presence. And, and when, we, when we read about the angel of the Lord, there's actually a lot of mystery there. We, we think of angels uh, in the New Testament sense, uh, but, but here in, in, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is just the messenger of the Lord. And there's, there's a mystery there of who is this angel. In fact, it's the first time we've seen the angel of the Lord in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses. And you're like, well, I thought that was God. Yes, that there is this kind of mystery. Who's, who, who is, who's there? And, and is it God? Is it, is, it, is, it a, is it a representative of God? And the, the, the text isn't clear. It's kind of intentionally vague. But what we see is this messenger becomes kind of this, uh, this model that gets rolled out, that God is going to send someone that is going to represent him, speak his words, to obey him is to obey God and empower him to lead, protect, guide, and just a reminder that we don't go alone. We don't fight our own battles. He goes before us. He paves the way, so to speak. He is the one that goes before us. And we say, well, some, some scholars say these are uh, Christophanies. Christophany is an Old Testament appearance of, of, of Christ uh, to appear to. That, that's possible. It's not super clear whether or not that's, but it definitely points to Jesus. It definitely points to uh, this, this fact that they are, that they in themselves cannot do anything of themselves, that they need to be led by, protected, taught, uh, fought, for, fought for by this messenger. And, and to, uh, to Obey the messenger is to obey God. And so when God in Exodus 3 says, here's my name, you're like, no, that's God speaking. But, but again, it's also the angel speaking. And so we see that this is Christianity 101. We don't go at it alone. We, don't, we couldn't rescue ourselves. We couldn't provide for ourselves. All of our meaning and purpose comes from God and is provided by God and his messenger. So the angel of the Lord comes. Well, let's look at the, the, the next one. We, we also see this angel um, in Joshua 15, when they go, Joshua 5 rather, when they go into the land and the angel of the Lord shows up and Joshua's like, who, who are you fighting for, us or them? He says, neither. I, I'm, I'm on the Lord's side. And then he says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. And you're like, oh, I've heard that before. God said that before. And so this again, ultimately it points to that God is with us. That's, that's really important. It's important when, when you come to the end of your days and you face eternity and you can know as one of God's people that he goes before you. He prepares a place for you. He's for you. He's with you. He'll fight your battles. It's important when you're facing suffering and, and hardship and sickness and, and, and death. It's important to know that you don't go alone. It's important to know on an average everyday Wednesday that your life is still marked by the presence and the power, the guiding, the leading, the teaching of God. And you think about how this finds its fulfillment, that God is with us. In the New Testament, it gets even better than that. It, it is, he is with us by his actual Holy Spirit, living in his people to guide, protect, lead, teach, guard. And this all get points to the ultimate, the new covenant. Well, well let's look at the second blessing. The second one, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 23. It says, my angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land. 
of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, I will wipe them out. Drop down to verse 30. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the desert to the Euphrates. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. So so the second thing we see is the land. Now, normally, I've thought a lot about this week. Normally, when we're reading uh, specifically about the, the Old Covenant and the, the people of God, Israel, and God's promise to them that they're going to get a land. Normally, I kind of just skim over that, but, but we should stop and ask the question, why? Why is, so, why is God so particular about, I'm going to give you an actual place? He doesn't just say, wherever you go, I'll be with you. He says, no, I'm going to give you a place. He even kind of marks out the boundaries of this place. And interestingly enough, even in the the heyday of of Israel under Solomon, they never make it to these boundaries that we just read about. It's as if it's still beyond their grasp. But what's the deal with the land? Well, think about it. You can back that up. Why did God create anything physical? Why did God create a universe and a Milky Way and a a sun and a third rock from the sun and a, a... with oceans, and, and then he created a, a, a specific place, a, a garden, and then he created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a specific physical place, and, and then uh, God communed with them there. Why is God so interested in the physical? Th- this seems curious to us because, I'll, I'll say in a minute, we have been influenced by and beholden by 2,000 years of an ancient heresy called Gnosticism where we emphasize the, emph- the spiritual over the physical. But God is really, really, really into the physical. Like read Genesis 1 and 2. This, he created, it is good. It is good. He's constantly calling it good. God says the relationship with him is not just spiritual. It is that, but it is also fully physical. That, that we're going to have a physical, eternal relationship with God. You know that? That Jesus in the incarnation took on a physical body and he will have it forever. We can hold him, we can touch him, we can see him, it'll be physical. Heaven will not be uh, strumming harps on clouds. It will be a new heaven and a new earth, a real physical creation that we will be in forever and ever and ever. God is into the physical, and we should be too. We get to go to a place where, where there will be no more brokenness, no more sickness, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death. We'll be in his presence. And, we get, and, and we've already read about it. It's going to be called the new heavens and new earth. It's not just a spiritual existence with God. God always, always, always says you're both physical and spiritual. We are body souls. Don't separate those two things out. There, there are massive implications for this. God cares about your spirit, obviously, but he cares about your physical righteousness, what you say with your mouths, what you do with your hands. He cares about your actual physical holiness. He he cares about his image bearers. We have lips and, and voice boxes and hands and eyes and ears and noses, and he wants us to use that all. This is why we're so grateful that we gather as a people in a physical location on Sunday morning in a real place and give each other real handshakes and real hugs and we can hear each other's voices lift up to the God who created us and we can see each other's faces. That, is, that, that matters to God. This is why 
This is why online church is not church. Because we are created to be with each other in a physical space. We can only, right now, only be right here right now. We can't be in a thousand other places. God delights in that. And so the physical delights in aesthetics. He delights in beauty. And so the songs we sing matter. The, the hearing each other sing it matters. The, the, the arch, you know, architecture matters, right? Well, we're so grateful that the town of Parker lets us rent this facility in this place, and, and we're grateful for that. But, but you should just know, we're praying, Lord, if you would ever give us a building, we don't want just a building that we can jam people in and make it dark and, and they can have a personal, private experience with you. No, no. Lord, Lord if, it, if it's your will, we, we know it's going to be expensive, but if it's your will, we would hope that you would give us something of awe and transcendence that points to you when we gather as your people. We don't have any plan. I'm not starting a building campaign or anything like that. But I'm just saying it It matters. And because of Gnosticism, we said, no, it doesn't matter. Well, all that matters is spiritual. Don't, don't worry about what happens to my body. I'll go and I'll be with Jesus. Like, no, no, no. You know you're going to have a resurrected body, right? Okay, I've gone way too long on this point. So, I've got to move on. Uh, let's go to, uh, back to verse 23. He says, my angel will go ahead of you uh, to bring you to the land, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones. So, so what, what's going on? Well, we'll see in the next verse. Worship the Lord your God and His blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from you from among you, and none will carry, miscarry, or be barren in your land. I will give you a, a full lifestyle. Here, here's what's going on. As, as God has marked out an actual physical space in which his people are to dwell and live, and by the way, not just that, that's going to be where next week we'll see that they're going to be able to go to an actual tabernacle to experience the, the presence of God, and later they'll go to an actual temple, a, a real place to experience the presence of God. And, and, and so he says, when you go there, just know right now that the peoples that are in the land are wickedly corrupt. They're idolatrous. They've rebelled against heven and earth. They, 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 You've got to understand just how wicked the, the culture around you is going to be. And this is a common experience for most of Christianity across the world and history that, that the culture in which Christians live is hostile to the things of God. God says, when you go in there, don't bow down to their gods. Now, why would they even think about that? Because the culture around them said, hey, this is the way to the good life. Here's prosperity. Here's how you can have good crops. Here's how you can have fertility. Here's how you can have good health. Here's how you can have good life. We've got all these different gods, Baal and Chemosh and Ashtaroth and, and others. Like if you make certain offerings to them, th- that's why we have crops and that's why the sun shines and that's why you, you can have children and that's why you can have all these things. And God says, don't, don't, don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie that idols will deliver you and bring you what you want most in the world. I do that, God says. I will bless you. And you have to understand in the driving out of these people, they are wicked, rebellious people. All of us, as sinners, deserve the wrath of God, and God, in His grace, has called His people into this land. But, but you've got to understand how wicked these people were. Not only their, their idolatry wasn't just some personal idolatry. So, so for example, 
Some of them that worshipped the god Chemosh. They would make these metal statues of Chemosh. About life size, about my height. And they would, um, I don't know if it was bronze, I don't know if it was bronze age, I don't know what, what all that stuff, but it was metal. And it was, it was formed in, in, in the shape of this god, and they would put this, uh, all this wood around the base of the god, and they would light it on fire, and so they would get this god white hot. White hot. And so this god was shaped like this. His hands were out to receive the offerings. It was burning, glowing red, glowing white hot. And because these people thought, oh, this is the way to prosperity. This is the way to the good life. They, they would take their own babies. And they would strip them naked. And they would set the babies on the white hot hands of Kamash. And they would sacrifice their babies for their prosperity. Wicked. Evil. Can you imagine You don't have to imagine that hard. We live in a culture where millions of babies have been sacrificed for the gods of prosperity and comfort and safety and self-accusation. And God says, not among my people. Well, it doesn't matter if the whole world says this is the way to life. You trust me. You trust that I am the source of your life. You trust that I am the one that will bless you. And God delights to bless His people. God delights to bless His people. Now, in the specific context for them, uh, in, in going into the land, He says what it, it is there. But, but for us in the New Testament, there's, there's many examples. Uh, Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have every spiritual blessing awaiting you if you're in Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God delights to bless. And so we, we want to be a people that says, regardless of what the world says, regardless of if the whole world is against us, we're going to trust God's ways and God's wills for our life and for our blessing. So we're going to trust God with our sexuality. We're going to trust God with our money. We're going to trust God in our marriages. We're going to trust God at our work. We're going to trust God for the things we pursue. And we're, we're going to see in Him the source of life and blessing and everything in it. So God desires to bless His people. We'll fast forward to chapter 4, the fourth one. We'll pick it up in verse 3, or chapter 24, sorry. Verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Again, this is not the first time they've said that. In chapter 19, at the beginning of this whole section, they said that. And I believe they're genuine. They're going to say it again. Down in verse 7. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And you're thinking, I know the, how this story is going to roll out. It's not going to be long. Where they totally rebel. How could they possibly do that? It's the same, same way that we could come in here on a Sunday morning and, and sing, all I have is Christ, and then Tuesday be like, ah, not so much. He- heaven, the earth has nothing I desire but you, Lord. We can sing that, and then Wednesday rolls around. Well, well they, they make their commitment. Verse 4, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountains and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. So they make this sacrifice. Moses then took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. So the next blessing we see is blood. And if you've been a Christian at all, you know, oh, I know what this is. This is pointing to Jesus, right? You read uh, Hebrews chapter 8, the blood of Jesus. All the blood of bulls and goats that was ultimately not really uh, efficacious at all. It was all pointing to, they were all shadows pointing to the substance of Jesus' blood. That's where it finds its fulfillment. It says, then he took the book of the covenant, read it to the people, so, so he's, he's told them, he's wrote, written it down. He reads what you've read the last few weeks again. Here's the law. And they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. They even add, we will obey. But, but God knows. And he still loves them. And he still provides forgiveness and grace to them through the blood. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Christopher Wright, speaking of this, says this. He says, Being a people sprinkled with the blood of the covenant then meant they were a people accepted by God's grace, acquainted with God's word, and committed to God's ways. That's what it meant to be a covenant people. Accepted by God's grace, acquainted with God's word, and committed to God's ways. And so in the sprinkling of the blood over the people, that sounds nasty to us, right? And it should. Like it should cause us to recoil, but it is just the, the, the reminder that, that, that our sin deserves blood. But the sprinkling of the blood brings a purification to the people and says, you will be right in my sight because you're covered in the blood. Again, all this points to Jesus. But, but did you notice, did you notice what he did with the other half of the blood? He took half of it and he sprayed it on the people. He put the other half on the altar. What's going on there? Well, the altar represents God. And when you made a covenant and you cut a covenant, you would sacrifice these animals and, and the two parties would commit. If either of us break this, maybe what happened to these animals happened to us. And God, being perfect, obviously, he's not going to break it, but he's covered in the blood. And so this is ultimately pointing to the God-man. The only hope that the people would have is that God would come down in himself, in the person of Jesus, and his own blood would reconcile sinful man and holy God forever and ever. Well, let's look at the final one. The final one is, uh, we we pick this up in verse 9. So so we've seen the angel, we've seen the land, we've seen the blessing, we've seen the blood, and now we're going to see the presence of God. It says, Moses and Aaron... Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. That, that should blow our minds. should blow our minds because we know even in Exodus in a few chapters, God will say to Moses, no one can see me and live. There I am again. There you go. So no one can see me and, and live. And yet somehow, someway, they, they, they are seeing the God of Israel And maybe just his feet, look what it says, under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. I have no idea what that is. It's as bright as blue as the sky. So some sort of 
really crazy scene where just the, the, the veil between heaven and earth gets pulled back just a, a tiny bit, maybe just the, the feet of God. And, and below that, they're just like, whoa. They, and then it says they, but, but God, verse 11, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites, meaning this is special grace that they're getting, that they deserve to die because they're in the presence of a holy God and they are not yet holy people bought by the blood of the Lamb yet, and yet God is preserving their life in this moment. It says they saw God and they ate and drank. They have a, a meal with God. Again, this is maybe a Christophany Maybe a, an Old Testament appearance of, of Christ. They have this meal with God. Again, all this, though, is shadows pointing to the substance. Jesus w- would come down. John 1.14, we have seen his glory. We have beheld his glory as from the only Son to the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. When, when Jesus came down and he put on flesh, next week we'll look at the tabernacle and see how all the tabernacle is pointing to Jesus. Well, he dwelt among us. And what did he do so often? He had meals with people. And you can, uh, Tim Chester wrote a whole book, A Meal with Jesus. You can just trace all the meals with Jesus and see all the ways that he ministered to people. Meals are really important. We get back to that physical thing, right? God cares about what we eat and, and how we spend time together across the table from each other. But, but all those meals are also pointing to the end of all the covenant. Exodus 19. When God comes down and he has this supper, this wedding supper of the Lamb. It's this massive feast in, in eternity that, that we get to have together. And, and it says that the, that the glory of the God is, is, is the light for the, all the universe in that moment. There is no need for a sun because the glory of God will light that place up. He says in the city, the new city that is created that we're going to have this meal in, there, there's no gates at the city. Well, why aren't there any gates? Well, because gates are to keep bad things out and bad people and there is none of that. There, there is no more sin, and there is no more suffering, and there is no more death, and, and there is no more uh, just longing for the day to come. This will be the day. And we long and look for that day, and, and the enemy, Satan, will be bound forever. Forever. This is where we're going, church. I want you to read Exodus 23 and 24 and say, yes, that's my Jesus. That, that's coming. I, I long for that day. And when we're reminded that we're still in a broken world, that, that should just fuel our worship even more. That day's coming. That day's coming. And so if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, this is, this is Jesus telling you, today is, can be the day. You can come and know me. I will bless you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will be your God, and you'll be my son or daughter. If this is already your This is, again, just a reminder of what's ultimately true because we forget. So we gather every week. We gather in each other's homes and we're like, here's what's true. Don't worry. Press on. There will be a day when all things will be made right. Let's lean into that. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, we get to come to you now in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit, asking God that you would renew our hearts to the truth of the better covenant. That it's not based on our obedience, but based on yours, Christ, in our place, 
on the cross for our sins. Lord Jesus, thank you that you took the written code that was against us and stood opposed to us and you nailed it to the cross, disarming the powers and authorities and triumphing over them by the cross. Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate Jesus in time and space this, this evening, this morning. And, and Lord, as we go out of these walls, Lord, we know that you go with us. And so give us eyes to see what you want us to see and hands to do what you want us to do so that we might glorify you and experience your presence and your power once again as your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.